about that choir? Let's give it up for the choir this morning. Woo! Man. Man. We could just say amen and go home now, couldn't we? No, you're not going home now. The tongue, your words reveal the real you. Somebody said, the tongue is a tattletale and it tells on the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus was saying to us that our words, our tongue is the voice of our heart. Our tongue is the revealer. Our words reveal what's in our heart. We're gonna go into the book of James in this series, so I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me to James 3, and we'll have the scriptures up on the uh, screen as well. I would encourage you to take notes. We have a little place in your worship program where you can take notes. This is a very important series, a very important message today and a very important series. In chapter three of the book of James, he presents the matter of the tongue, the matter of our words as one of God's faith tests. There are several faith tests, but one of them is how we talk because true faith will be demonstrated by our speech. And so will false faith. Let's read together James chapter three, verses one through five. The first four words are very important because it tells us that he's talking to the church. James isn't addressing those out there who do not know Christ, he is addressing us in here, in this building. Those of us who have Christ living in our heart. Because he says, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. How many of you know when I read that verse in preparation, it got my attention? Many of you are teachers out there. Many of you maybe feel called to be a teacher. The Bible says we who teach in the church will be judged by God with a greater strictness. Verse two, we all make many mistakes. And the people said, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. That is a very powerful verse right there that talks about how when, when we've got the tongue under the control of the Holy Spirit, then that means everything else in our life ought to be where it, is, where it should be in priority and in control of the Spirit. Verse three, we can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want him to go or, or wherever uh, we want by means of a small bit that is in his mouth. And a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. 
So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Nothing reveals our heart like our words. Now this is such a great concern to James as he is addressing the church. He is so concerned about word power. He is so concerned about the power of our words as Christians that he mentions it in every chapter of his book. You'll find it in verses 19 and 26 of chapter one. You'll find it in verse 12 of chapter two. You'll find it in verse 11 of chapter four. You'll find it in verse 12 of chapter five. And of course, he spends a large portion of chapter three, as we have just read, talking about specifically the power of our speech, the power of the things we say. James is being used by the Holy Spirit in his book to show us that True believers, true, genuinely converted people, believers, will manifest their life in Christ in many ways every day through how they live. Now, it seems to me as I read the book of James, and I would encourage you to do a study of the book of James, it would be a great study, no matter really where you are in your walk with God, even if you're a new Christian, or a seasoned Christian, I'm telling you, the book of James is a great book to choose to say, I'm gonna do a study of this book, and there's many, many good materials out there on it. But it seems like to me that in the book of James that he really addresses speech. It's almost like it's a theme throughout his book, saying that there are many ways that you live every day that shows the world you are a follower of Christ or it denies what you claim in being a follower of Christ. Let me give you just six other things other than the way we talk. Let me give you six other things that he says, if you're a true believer, if you're a true convert, if you have truly, genuinely accepted Christ into your heart as your personal savior, it will show up, first of all, in the way you endure trials. Trials are gonna come. Tribulation, trouble is going to come in this life, no matter if your faith level is way up here and your knowledge of the Bible is way up here or your faith is way down here and your knowledge of the Bible is way down here, trouble is a part of living in this world. And I know we hear some Bible teachers say that we can come to a level in our faith where we really don't have that anymore. Well, I haven't reached it yet. I haven't reached it yet and I, and I would suspect that that teaching is an extreme teaching. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have troubles. How you endure them. See, people watch us when the heat is on. They watch us when the heat is on. Anybody can look like a great Christian when the winds aren't blowing. Anybody can look powerful in God when, when everything's going well, there's money in the bank, you know. Uh, bank accounts high, blood pressure low, you know, everybody's looking spiritual. But they watch us when the heat is on 
to see what we're going to do. I've got to tell you, man, last Sunday was a test of that. Here we are in a down economy. We turn our television on. It's not good news. And in the midst of all of that, the church called Whitley and the Bridge rose up and said, we are the children of God. And no matter what Wall Street says, we sow these seeds of faith. And I'm telling you, the world heard about last Sunday. And I promise you, it touched their heart. How we endure trials. Millie and I were young in the ministry. We lived in a little parsonage beside of a church. and We didn't have any children then. And uh, Millie always has liked to work out in the yard and plant flowers. And I hate it. (laughs) I'm just saying, I've tried to love it. God just won't give me a love for it. But I, I like pretty flowers and all that stuff, but I just want somebody else to put them there. <laughs> but uh, being the incredible James Dobson husband that I am, I um, <laughs> was out there with her. We were digging. We had those little baby shovels, you know, with the pointy thing, and we were digging out there and planting flowers and stuff. And uh, that night, a big storm came through. And a lady who lived next door to us that we had tried to befriend but was kind of ornery, you know, and we had tried to be her friend and tried to reach out to her, but we hadn't had very much success in it. Um, A tree blew over in her yard that night in that storm. And so the next day, um, a knock came on my door and I opened the door and she said, hello. I said, oh, praise God. We're about to connect. She said, a tree blew over in my yard last night. I said, I saw that. I saw that. It's terrible. She said, you did it. (laughs) I I said, really? (laughs) She said, yeah, you and your wife were digging around out there in the yard, and you cut the roots. Man, those are some bad shovels, buddy. I didn't. She said, uh, I said, well, what? what?" Because I could tell I wasn't going to win this argument and keep a good name in the town. So I said, uh, what would you like me to do? She said, I want you to clean that tree up. I want you to get it up, clean it up. So um, <clears throat> Millie and I had been there at the church maybe about a year or so, and uh, a lot of uh, couples, young couples had come, and some of them had just given their heart to the Lord, and so uh, I thought, you know, fresh meat. And um, <laughs> that was just wrong. Did that come out? I? And, I, and I called those guys. They were excited. They wanted to do something for God. So we gathered in that lady's yard and we took our chainsaws. And I didn't have a chainsaw, but I was there going, awesome job, guys. And uh, they cut it up. They piled it on a couple of trailers and pickup trucks. It was a huge tree. And we took it down to this elderly couple that heated their home with wood. And we just stacked them up, man. But guess what we found out? Millie and I did not make that tree fall down. (laughs) We found out that that tree had died in the heart. It hadn't made its way out to the limbs yet. So there was still some fruit and there were still some green leaves and the tree didn't look on the outside like it was dying. But when the storm came, it revealed the weakness. 
So they watch us, not when everything's going okay, but they watch us in the storm. And how we endure in the storm testifies of our walk with God. Y'all with me out there? So James said endurance and trials. Let me just give you the other ones really quick. Humility and temptation. When you're being tempted, don't be prideful. Humble yourself and say to God, I'm struggling, I'm struggling here, oh God, and I'm, I'm being tempted to do this and I need your strength. Humility and temptation. James teaches us in his book that obedience to the scriptures is a sign of our walk with God. And then he says loving concern for the needy is a sign Fairness when dealing with the poor is a sign of, I gotta tell y'all something real quick. I'm 54 Saturday, this coming Saturday. And for those of you who are thinking about buying me something, I wear a double bubba. <laughs> I'm gonna be 54. <laughs> when I came to Whitley, I was 33. Hair. Little blue jeans. Now I have no hair and big blue jeans, but <clears throat> 54. Been here 20 years. I got to tell y'all something. I thought when we planted the bridge in Goldsboro, I thought, well, you know, that's what God sent me here to do is, is, to, is to help Whitley grow and, and, and plant a church. And, and so I kind of thought that was it. And I thought, well, we'll get that going. It'll be healthy. And then God said, I want you to go plant a church in Smithfield. And so I said, okay, okay, we'll do that. And, and now we're going to do that in November. And I was really excited. And, and, and then I was like, God, when do I get to press cruise? Y'all know what I mean? Just press cruise control and just ride. You know, I'm 54. He said, not yet. And God has put something in my heart that is next for us. And we're going to plant this church in Smithfield and it's going to grow and it's going to bloom and it's going to blossom and it's going to be awesome. And I thought, you know, I was done. I thought, I thought that was it. And I thought, you know, the rest of my time, you know, I'll probably retire around 65 or so if y'all let me stay that long. And I thought what I'll do in that 10 years or 11 years is I will just, I will work and develop leaders and and, and then when I walk away at 65, there'll be three healthy churches that some young buck can come in here and do stuff I could never do and take it to a whole nother place and I could fade into the sunset. And God went, not yet. He's put something in my heart that I'm gonna be announcing. I don't know when exactly we're gonna be announcing it, um, but it's awesome and it's big. And it has to do with the poor and the needy. So I'll be telling you about that. I can't tell you now. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, you couldn't handle it, you know? He told his disciples, if I told you what I know right now, your head would explode. You remember when he said that to them? <laughs> so I can't say that to you right now, but let me tell you, we're gonna roll with Pastor Wes and we're gonna get him cranking. We're gonna get that into every week services and we're gonna grow at the bridge and we're gonna be blessed here and we're gonna announce here in, in a little while what God's got next for Whitley. Are y'all excited about our church and what God's doing in our church? So James says these are ways to tell that you're a Christian. He said, but then, he said, the, the thing I wanna talk to you about and in this sermon series is that James also says that a person's life in Christ when they're transformed, when there is genuine conversion, 
Not emotional conversion, but genuine turning your back on sin, self, and Satan and turning your full attention to the Savior. When that conversion happens in your life, he said, the way it's going to show up is in how you talk and how you use words. He's demanding here that we recognize that living faith in Christ shows itself in the control of our tongue. Let's go to Psalm 64 and 3. He says in Psalm 64 and 3, who have sharpened their tongue like a sword, they aim their bitter speech or their bitter words as an arrow. And I wondered why it called the words we speak, bitter words, why it called them an arrow. Why didn't it call them a knife? And I thought about how an arrow can kill at a distance. You see, the tongue is extremely deadly because it can kill its victims anywhere. You don't have to be in their vicinity. Our words are like that unmanned drone we keep seeing on the news. Nothing reveals how our faith and our works comes together more than how we talk. Let me give you some statistics. (laughs) The average person speaks about 18 to 25,000 words a day. Some people have said that men speak 25,000 words a day and women speak 30,000 words a day. And I don't know who sat around and counted all that up, but the difficulty with that statistic is that by the time the man gets home, home, he spent his 25,000 and the woman's hardly even started using hers and she's been waiting all day. heard about a guy who said his wife had the perfect job. Somebody said, well, what does she do? He said, she works for the CIA. He said, how's that the perfect job? He said, she comes in at the end of the day, and I go, well, what happened at work today? And she says, I can't tell you. (laughs) That's wrong. That was wrong, wasn't it? (laughs) But so funny. Somebody said, we put together a 54-page book every day. If you took all our words and put them on a 54-page book every day, in a year, we could probably produce about 66 800-page books. The average person spends one-fifth of their time talking. Nothing is more likely to to reveal your depravity as a human being, more than your words. You remember when Peter was denying Jesus? Even those who did not believe looked at him and said, the way you talk gives you away. The way you talk gives you away. In Genesis 3 and 12, we find the first actual sin after the fall of man. Now, when Adam and Eve ate that fruit that they weren't supposed to eat and ate from that tree that they were not supposed to eat from, that was the first sin. But the very first sin after that one was a sin of the tongue. You know why I believe that was the very first sin after the fall of man? Because I believe the easiest way to sin is through the tongue, through the words we speak. What did Adam say? God confronted him with his sin, and Adam said, the woman you gave me. I know. Ladies don't slap him. I know you do. The woman you gave me, let me, let me just tell you how serious that statement is right there. 
You know what he was doing right there? He was essentially slandering God and saying, the reason I sinned is because you didn't do the right thing. I got to tell y'all, I hear this now. I hear people who tell me who are living in sin that they have to live in sin because God just created a situation in their life where they have no choice. Can I just say something to you? Don't say that. It's a slander against God. So we go from that Old Testament where the very second sin ever committed was the sin of the tongue. We go to the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul's in the book of Romans, and here's what he's doing. Listen carefully. He's characterizing the fallen state of man. He's telling us what man is like apart from God. And when he wants to describe all of these ugly features of man's depravity, and when he wants to describe the wretchedness of humanity and humanity's sinful condition, he goes, well, let's just talk about how those people talk. I mean, he goes right to the topic of words. He says, if you want to see the true heart of a man, just listen to him. He says in Romans 3.13, this is how you describe a sinner. Or this is how you describe a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. They're cut off from Jesus Christ. He said their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of snakes is under their lips. And their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Wow, Paul is saying to us that the focal point of our fallen condition is, and our depravity is our mouth, what comes out of our mouth. When the prophet Isaiah confessed to God his utter sinfulness, y'all remember that story, don't you? In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah was kind of cast down, discouraged because King Uzziah had died. And uh, God said, you know what you need to do? You need to quit worrying about King Uzziah dying and you need to get your eyes on the king of kings. And so he showed, him, he showed him his glory. The Bible said his train filled the temple. That, that is really essentially, when you study that, kind of talks about where God has been. He just kind of saw where God had been. You know, the train is out behind. Because if you look on God, you don't live. So he couldn't say, look at me, because had Isaiah looked at him, Isaiah would have died. So he saw where he had been. He saw his train. And the Bible says there were angels there that had six wings. Now, I got to tell you, if I saw one with two, it would freak me. <laughs> These had six. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they covered their face. And with two, they did fly. And they sung, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when Isaiah saw where God had been, not God, but just where he had been, he was so um, stunned by the contrast between his humanity and the righteousness of God that he said, I am a man with a dirty mouth. <laughs> I mean, that's all he could think of to say. You remember the King James Version? He said, I am a man with what? Unclean lips. He said, I am a man. That's what he, when he, listen, listen, listen. When he saw the glory of God, the first thing he thought about was his mouth. Wow. Nothing marks a man's sinfulness more than his words. Our words are most representative of our depravity. Our words best reveal our human condition. Now, 
If that's true, if it's true, if what we've taught so far is true, then isn't it also true that right words, right words under the control of the Holy Spirit spoken consistently must reveal then a righteous heart? A righteous heart, yes. The answer to that is yes. That's not a set up question. (laughs) If you speak righteous words on a consistent basis, then you are uh, uh, a person who has a righteous heart or or is in the process, and we're always in the process of a more righteous heart. But James is telling us in chapter three, listen, listen, this is so important that we as Christians are to measure our speech to see if the things that come out of our mouth are consistent with what we claim in the reality of our faith. Because sometimes we can act spiritual just like the tree in the lady's yard. We can look fruitful. We can look spiritual. But the test will come in the things we say. Now, as you go through, James, you find five reasons that we need to control our tongue. And I'm going to give you one really quick, and we're closing right here because I know what time it is. And when I say in closing, tell the people what that means. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Okay. But it makes y'all feel better. Don't you really feel better? Okay. Here's why. We need to control our words because of the potential those words have to damage us or condemn us. In other words, you need to watch your mouth as a Christian because it will damage you, it will condemn you, it will ruin your testimony. He's talking to Christians here. He says in James 3, 1 and 2, Dear brothers and sisters, dear Christians, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. But then he says in the second verse, we all. So in the first verse, he addresses teachers, but then he goes to the second verse and said, but it's not just for teachers, it is for we all, for all of us. So it's not just about teachers, though teachers were at the top of the, the totem pole socially and, and, and in every other way in his culture. So he addresses the teachers first, but then he comes right in on that next verse and says, but this is for everybody. We all make many mistakes, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. Let's go to James 1.26. If any man among you seems to be religious, that's what I'm preaching on. It doesn't matter what a man seems to be. It doesn't matter what a woman seems to be. If they seem, excuse me, if they seem to be religious, if they seem to be spiritual, if they seem to be strong Christians, but they keep saying things that betray their claim then that person deceives his own heart and that man's religion is useless. Matter of fact, what Paul's saying right here, James is saying rather, is that a faith that doesn't transform your tongue is no faith at all. So James introduces it by talking about teachers, moves direct. Let's look at uh, um, what I'm gonna call disasters of the mouth. I want to describe the kinds of tongues the Bible talks about. Let me go through those very quickly. The Bible talks about, and you won't be able to write these down fast enough. I'll send you these notes if you want them. The Bible talks about a wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, angry tongue, crafty tongue, flattering tongue, slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, 
A backbiting, backbiting tongue, blaspheming tongue, foolish tongue, boasting tongue, murmuring tongue, complaining tongue, cursing tongue, argumentative tongue, sensual tongue, vile tongue, whispering tongue, and that ain't all of them. Y'all see yourself in there anywhere? No wonder God put the tongue in a cage behind teeth <laughs> and sealed it with some lips. Somebody said, remember, your tongue is in a wet place and it can easily slip. <laughs> can I be so bold as to tell you that most of the problems we have in our life is because we didn't watch our mouth? I get... Amen. The easiest way to sin is to sin with words. See, you can't do any sin you want to anytime you want to do it because you might not have the resources or be in the right situation or be in the right area to commit any sin you want to, but buddy, you can sin with your mouth anytime, anyplace, anywhere. That's why it's so dangerous. Let's go to Matthew 12, and then that's it. Because I gotta tell you what Jesus said about it. Jesus is in, very, in a very intense dialogue with the Pharisees. Imagine that. Jesus is in a very intense dialogue with the Pharisees. Jesus has been doing incredible, amazing miracles. And so the Pharisees, instead of going, you know what, only the Messiah could do that. Instead of them saying that, they said, he is doing this by the power of hell. He's doing this by the power of the devil. He is not doing it by the power of God. Now, there are several situations in the Bible where Jesus is ticked off. And I'm going to tell you what he said back to them, and I'll let you determine if you think he was ticked off. Because the moment they said that to him, he said back to them, you brood of snakes. I wonder if the Pharisees went, did he mean that in a negative way? <laughs> you brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? In other words, you can't, for whatever is in your heart, determines what you say. I gotta tell you something, if I'd have been there, I'd have looked at them Pharisees and went, busted, busted. I'm sorry. Matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you something, when they said after he had healed little children and blind people that he was doing it by the power of the devil and I'd have been there in that crime, the Pharisees been there, Jesus would have been there, I'd have went, oh, I'm backing up because, <laughs> buddy, I'll be looking for some lightning to come down. So then Jesus doesn't quit talking, though. All Jesus was saying to them in verse 34 was he was saying the things that you say, the things you say. And look, he's talking to us now. Y'all hear me? He said, you say the things you say because your heart is the way it is. Don't look at me and go, I just said that because I'm just like my mama. <laughs> well, quit being like your mama and be like your daddy. Amen, amen. That's pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> Matthew 12, 35 through 37, look what Jesus says. Look at this, look at this. Come on, church, let's get this. A good person produces good words from a good heart. Booyah. And an evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. Anybody need a modern translation on that one? And I tell you this, and when Jesus says, and I tell you this, you want to hear it. 
that you must give an account on judgment day of every idle word you speak. Verse 37, the words you say now reflect your fate then. Either your words will be Either you will be justified by them, your words, or you will be condemned. So when you give your heart to Jesus, now I'm going to say something here, and I want you to hear me on this. I, bring, I don't want to bring confusion into your life, but I'm, I want to tell you something. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, there is a transformation that takes place. You say, well, I'm just a young Christian and I keep lying and I keep cussing and I keep, I just, you know, I'm just a young Christian. Listen, listen. The Bible says when a true conversion takes place, I keep gossiping and I keep, because you know that just, I'm just new in the Lord. The Bible says when you're converted, when you are saved, when Jesus comes into your heart, you get a new heart, you become a new creation, old things are passed away and all things become new. And if that is true, when you become a Christian, you get a new vocabulary, a new vocabulary. When God gives us a new heart, at the same time, he gives us a new tongue. You say, well, I'm in trouble. But we all have the old sin nature still. Paul had it. Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't do it. The bad that I don't want to do, he said, I end up doing it. Paul was talking to us about that old man. He called it the old man. It's the sin nature. And I don't care how saved you are. I don't care how, let me do this right, sanctified you are. I don't care how full of the Holy Ghost you are. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. That old man's still in there. But the closer you get to God, the weaker he is. Some of y'all, the old man's like this. And some of you guys are close to God and you've got him kind of crippled down. That's good, but he's there. You say, when am I going to get rid of him? Glorification, not sanctification, glorification in heaven. When you get to heaven, he's gone. But you're going to battle with him here. So it's, listen, your mouth is always going to be a test for you. I don't care how good you get. I don't care how close to God you get. Your mouth's always going to be a major test for you and me and all of us. So let's start praying about that. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side at the cross, at the cross. You know, the, you remember those old hymns? That's where it's crucified. That's where it's beat down. That's where that old man is beat down. And the more he's beat down in our life, the more you say the right things. And the more you say the right things, the more you glorify God. And the more you glorify God, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw lost men to me. Y'all with me out there? Father, help us today. Help us get our words right. Help us get our mouth right. If there's someone here who doesn't know you today, 
If there's someone here who isn't saved, who hasn't accepted you, it is my prayer that even right now they would say, dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm ruining myself with my mouth. And so God, I need you. I've been running from you, Lord. I've been making excuses why I don't serve you and I need you today. Please forgive me of my sins and come in my heart, Jesus. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. I receive that as a work you did for me. But Lord, I receive you. I accept you, Jesus, into my heart as my one and only hope, my one and only Savior. Right there where you are in that chair, right there where you are right now, ask Jesus to come into your life and take over your life. You say, what does all that mean? Why am I kind of worried? Don't worry about what that means. It is the best for you. Invite him in. Receive him. Now, you Christians out there, I want you to pray, God, help me, sanctify me. God, I pray that you will help me to understand that I am claiming one thing, but my mouth is out of control in some areas, and I've hurt some people, and I've, I've hurt my testimony, and, and God, I pray that you help me as I grow closer to you, that I would be able to bridle my tongue. Pray for it, church. Pray for it today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, now watch me, watch me real quick. Those of you who pray to receive Christ or you're investigating Christ or you want, go over to this table. There's a table right over here. Pick up one of the packets that will help you go further in your understanding of Christ. Guest, pick up your free gift at the back. Thanks for coming to Whitley Church today, guys. God bless you. Thank you for being here.